Before we begin this episode of the Going Deutsch podcast, we have to start with news that broke earlier today on the day of publication, the 28th of November. With that being that Jan Regensburg player Agiman Diavuzi has died at age 25. Diavuzi started his career with Jan Regensburg before moving on to the Nuremberg and Leipzig academies. Over his career he would play with the Leipzig second team as well as Wehan, Ingolstadt, Dynamo Dresden and Bayreuth among others. He returned to Jan Regensburg this summer where he made 12 appearances for the club before his untimely passing. I hope you will join me in sending your thoughts to the family and friends of Agiman Diavuzi during this incredibly difficult time. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Going Dutch podcast. A look at the wonderful world of German football brought to you by someone who will be playing at left-back for the German national team in the next international break. Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise to hear about that from Julian Nagelsmann, but he is a football visionary and I will I will happily undertake that task for him if he believes that is what is required to win. Anyway, I am back after the latest international break and luckily we don't have another international break for a long time but unfortunately we do have a winter break coming up and I am a a believer in the winter break. I think it's a really good idea but it does also suck not having the Bundesliga for a month. Obviously the winter break is going to be a lot shorter this time around because we don't have the worst idea ever conceived by, well, football at least during this winter break so that is absolutely fantastic and we're not going to have a winter break like the one we had last year until 2034 because FIFA unfortunately are still awful and while the viewing figures for Qatar weren't anywhere near as bad as they should have been so they're more than happy to to go back if you if you watched Qatar don't complain. Just don't complain. You don't get to complain. Anyway, how was the international break for everyone? I had a reasonable time. I watched a lot of football in leagues I don't normally watch, and also I watched a lot of other sports as well as I am known to do. I did briefly look at the German national team and keep up with them, and of course, You'll know about that if you go to the website. But anyway, welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. Remember to go to the Sports Blitz website where I did write about how the German national team did during this recent international break. I only really watched one international game, which was Uruguay against Argentina. And I watched Uruguay because Marcelo Bielsa. But I, I did keep up with the German national team. I did write about how they did just to give you... A very brief overview of what happened. Havertz at left back, that strangely worked. All the space in the universe for Turkey. First loss of Julian Nagelsmann's reign. Then went to Austria. Leroy Sane lost his mind. Defending still a joke. Nagelsmann's second loss. Ranić celebrating. So that's a brief overview of what happened to the National Mannschaft during the last international break. And if you want a more further 
analysis of what happened, then you're going to have to go to the Sports Blitz website to see what I wrote. At the time, the articles will be in the description to this podcast. As well as that, of course, I am doing my usual NFL articles, and this week will include a review of the Thanksgiving games, a review of Dolly Parton's performance of a halftime show. I mean, that was fantastic. Don't know why she sung We Are The Champions, but... You know, it was nice hearing her sing Jolene and 9 to 5. She's 77 years old and still going strong. Absolutely fantastic. The closest thing America has to royalty, to be sure. But there's going to be discussion of the Thanksgiving games. And alongside stuff that happened on Thanksgiving, there's also probably going to be discussion about the fact that the Steelers have finally put together something that resembles an offense. I mean, they only put up 16 points against a Bengals defense, which is truly terrible. But it's also the first time that they've had over 400 yards in, is it like 58 games? And that comes coincidentally straight after the sacking of Matt Canada. So, yeah, fantastic. Anyway, let's not talk about the NFL here. Let's talk about the Bundesliga. It was match day 12 of the season this time around. And we're going to start off at the Westfalen Stadion for Borussia Dortmund against Borussia Mönchengladbach. And this game was weird and interesting, but definitely weird. That's that's the main takeaway, I would say. The game couldn't have started much worse from a Borussia Dortmund perspective. They were 2-0 down in the opening 28 minutes. With 13 minutes on the clock, there was a complete collapse of the Dortmund defence, which would allow Rocco Wrights to run through wide open after a pass from Alisson Player. He was able to slot past Kerbal. If he enjoyed his first goal, which we talked about in, I believe, the last full episode of the podcast, then I can only imagine how he felt after scoring at the Westfalen Stadium. That must be an amazing feeling. And it's one that Manu Kone also had with 28 minutes on the clock. Just all of the space to run around and find the best angle before firing from the edge of the box. It was really weird because he sort of cut back on himself, ran around. He was he was trying to find the perfect space and the five Dortmund defenders who were around him just sort of let him. They just sort of stood off him and allowed him to do that. And you shouldn't have to be told as Bundesliga defenders that that is not the best idea. I know Manu Kone... It's not Robert Lewandowski or Harry Kane or Sarah Gerasi or anyone like that, but maybe don't give him all the time in the universe is all I'm saying. That's that's definitely a, a good idea. Just don't, like, sit that far off him, you know. Anyway, what Dortmund needed was a miraculous turnaround after that where Gladbach just sort of collapsed, and that is exactly what they got because they would score two goals in the space of three minutes pretty much straight after that the first one coming from marcel sabitzer on the half hour mark the second one coming from nicholas Fulkrug, and it was too old despite the fact that it it really shouldn't have been because gladbach had, had really dominated the opening stages they were the best side and at 2-0 up they should have been able to to go on from there and have a really good game but Within three minutes, it was to all, all of a sudden. And then just before the halftime break, as Sayoane was getting his notes ready for the halftime team talk to discuss what Gladbach had done right in the opening stages and then why it had gone wrong and what they could do to fix it, the probably the dagger for this entire game, the Gladbach defence completely fell apart. This was... 
the first two goals from a Gladbach perspective, at least the two goals that Dortmund scored from a Gladbach perspective, weren't weren't great. But the third goal was truly ludicrous. It was terrible defending from Borussia Mönchengladbach as Jamie Bino Gittens was given overtime in the universe to slot into the bottom corner. So three two at the half-time break in favour of Borussia Dortmund. And that was a shock because, like I said, Gladbach had been really good in the opening stages of the game. They'd taken a 2-0 lead, they'd looked convincing, they'd looked dominant, and then just completely fell apart against what, to be honest, wasn't much of a challenge. I think after the equaliser, Dortmund were the better side. But still, it's not like they were all conquering. This wasn't a great performance from them, and yet they found themselves free to up. Five goals in the first half. Would the second half match that? No, no, it wouldn't. There was a very exciting moment when Marco Royce hit the crossbar from a free kick, but apart from that, the game was sort of a lull. Borussia Mönchengladbach did try to get back into it. Towards the end of the game, they were, you know, throwing everything out Dortmund. Dortmund were happy to sit back and try and hold on to their lead. And that was the correct decision in the end because Dortmund would score the only goal of the second half. Daniel Marlin slotting into an empty net, pretty much running into it after keeper Moritz Nicholas went up for a corner. So 4-2 was the final score. To be honest... I don't think you can take any confidence about either of these sides going forward. For Borussia Dortmund, this reminded us as to what their problems are about their defensive weakness. They still, you know, for both of those goals, the Dortmund defending was ridiculous. And you would expect any side in the Bundesliga to be able to take chances when they are presented like that by Borussia Dortmund. So, that was terrible, and it feels like, 9 times out of 10, if I take a 2-0 lead like that, off the back of such a, a good start, they'd be able to hold on to it and, and move on from there, but Borussia Mönchengladbach completely fell apart. Maybe if they don't concede those two goals so quickly, one after the other, then maybe they get a hold of the game again, but still... You cannot, as a Bundesliga side, go 2-0 up and then throw it away in the way that Borussia Mönchengladbach did. It was very, very bad. And obviously, we're not expecting Mönchengladbach to be all that this season. This is a rebuilding project. But against this Dortmund side as well, I would have expected Gladbach to be able to hold on to that lead. So, a lot of... Worrying questions to ask about both of these sides and, well, the problems at Gladbach we saw on the pitch, the problems at Dortmund are more off it at the moment and we'll be talking about that later on when we get into the news. By the way, just want to point out that Max Verber is still in my fantasy side despite getting minus three points in this game. So, great. He didn't get sent off, he was just, he was just that bad. And to be honest, most of the Gladbach side were that bad. That's how you lose in this sort of style against this Borussia Dortmund. Union Berlin won, Augsburg won. Obviously, this was the first game in the post Urs Fischer era. And Marco Groot and Marie-Louise Eter were taking charge of the game for the Kerpenickers. 
They have hired a new manager. We'll be talking about him later on in the podcast. But for the time being, the Union Berlin fans had a lovely TFO before the game saying Danke to Urs Fischer and Hoffi, his assistant, who we mentioned on the last episode in the emergency episode, and I've already forgotten the name of. That's my bad. I don't think it's coffee YouTuber James Hoffman. But it might be coffee YouTuber James Hoffman. Busy guy. You know, he's able to do all that stuff. But anyway, the first big talking point of the game came in the 39th minute when a penalty was given to Augsburg for a foul from Robin Gersens. It was right on the line, but the ref decided to give a penalty. To be honest, it's hard to either agree or disagree with that decision because it's just dependent on where the referee sees the foul that's having taken place. For me, it was right on the line. So, you know, 50% of referees are going to say that's a penalty. 50% are going to say that it's a free kick. It wasn't out there. It wasn't massively controversial. So, I understand why he gave it. It was definitely a foul. Um, the penalty was scored by Ermadin Demirovic. Luckily, early on in the second half, Union would have a penalty claim of their own when Christopher Trimmel was brought down in the box by Iago. The ref originally didn't give the penalty, but VAR told him to look at the monitor and he changed his mind. It was the right call, Iago's contact, clearly causing Trimmel to fall. But when it rains, it pours. Uh, that's what it's felt like for Union because Robin Knocker's penalty was saved by Augsburg goalkeeper Finn Darman. And when it rains, it pours, it floods because Robin Gersens thought that he had equalised for Union Berlin, but the goal was disallowed due to an offside in the build-up. Union were the best side, though. They kept pushing, they kept trying, they kept fighting they showed more sort of fight back and resilience than they've shown in the last few games under Urs Fischer and they would eventually get their reward Kevin Volland with his first goal for Union Berlin it's their first Bundesliga goal as well since a Benucci penalty on the 7th of October and their first goal at home since the first game of the season on the 20th of August so this has been a long time coming Union definitely deserved something. They were easily the better side in the second half. And like I said, they didn't give up. Their nine-game losing run in the Bundesliga is finally over. And hopefully, that's a bit of momentum for the new manager to build on when he gets in on... Well, he will already obviously be at work by the time you're listening to this podcast. Meanwhile, for Augsburg, they are undefeated in five under Jess Torrup as he has made a very good start to his time as the Augsburg manager. Feels like this is mostly about Union Berlin, though. And, yeah, like I said, just hopefully, fingers crossed, this is the momentum that they desperately need. Eintracht Frankfurt 1, Stuttgart 2. Obviously, a very exciting game at the top of the Bundesliga table. But one of the things that took centre stage was the referee. It was a big day for the referee. It was Felix Brook refereeing this game. And it was his 344th game that he refereed in the Bundesliga, which was enough to tie him for most games refereed at that level ever alongside Wolfgang Stark. So a really big day for Felix Brook. And one that I'm sure he was ready to celebrate. But 
He had a bit of an injury midway through the first half where he had to get out of the way of a ball. He soldiered on through the rest of the first half with with an injury and it turned out when he was assessed at half time it was more than just a, a small injury because it looks like he might have a torn cruciate ligament which might keep him out of action for a while which is obviously a big shame because he is for me the best referee in the German game and arguably in world football as well so he would be a real miss he was speaking to sky sport after the game he said quote unfortunately yes i have no pain and can walk now let's see i collapsed the pitch was a bit slippery that's when i noticed that my knee wasn't really doing well i then carried on was able to keep going until the break i was treated briefly and looked at more closely the doctors said it would be risky to continue it is what it is, that's life, now I'm standing here and have the record and I'm happy about it. On the other hand, I'm also a bit down. Let's see what comes out in the clinic. So yeah, obviously it's a, it's a real shame for him, but it was still a momentous occasion for him becoming the joint record holder of the most appearances the referee has made in the Bundesliga, so well done to him. I would send him a, a cake or one of those celebrative cookies you can get and have three, four, four written on it, but that's a bad idea for several reasons. One being that I don't know where he lives and, and can't ship it to him, and the other being that it would probably go stale on, on the way there. So, you know, let, let's not do that. But Felix, if you're listening to this, which you're not, then buy one and it's on me <laughs> anyway so yeah not the best game for Felix Brook not the best start to the game for Eintracht Frankfurt either because 57 seconds into the game whilst the commentator was praising Eintracht Frankfurt's defense Dennis Undav was played through by Ensign Below and he would slot under Kevin Trapp to get the opening goal of the game and if you're thinking wow that's an incredibly fast goal trust me you've not seen anything yet Wait until we get on to the Spider Bundesliga review. Anyway, Eintracht Frankfurt would build into the game and they would get an equaliser in the 26th minute. A cross from the left led to an amazing looping header from near the edge of the box that Alexander Nubel had absolutely no chance with. It was a fantastic header, could not have been placed any better. That header came from Valdemar Anton. Of Stuttgart. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was an own goal. And honestly, is that the Cactor de Monats theme I can hear? Because that that's a very strong contender for the November edition of that video. Yeah, go and watch this if you haven't seen it. It, it would be. I think the, the commentator called it spectacular. And that's true. If a striker did that, it would be a goal of a month contender despite only being a header. It was absolutely fantastic. But yeah, it, it came from Vodemar Anton. And, you know, I have learned how Fantasy Bundesliga now works in the year 2023. So unlike, say, Fantasy NFL or, or anything like that, you don't have to necessarily set your team in terms of starters and and reserves for the game at the end of the week we'll just sub in the best players depending on your formation so that that's good and that explains why i was looking at like my, my results in the early weeks and going hang on i'm sure i didn't start new bowling goals i'm sure i started Feeman. Eh, strange 
yeah, it turns out that Fancy Bundesliga now just automatically subs in your players, which is, for me, a lot better. I like that much more than the ability to sub in players through the weekend, but you have to keep a constant eye on your Fancy Bundesliga as the weekend goes on. So, yeah, big improvement in my opinion. Anyway, this is not the point. The point is that Vardmar Anton is in my Fancy Bundesliga squad, and funnily enough, he stayed firmly on the bench. I didn't start him heading into the weekend and he stayed on that bench after the weekend was over as well which wasn't really a surprise when he scored just an amazing own goal truly fantastic goal of the month contender anyway just before the halftime break Stuttgart would get their advantage back and it was Dennis Undav getting his second of the game heading in a Maxi Mittelstadt cross it's his eighth goal of the season coming in just eight games as well so, obviously, we, we talked about how Gavassi has been such an amazing player for Stuttgart this year, and he absolutely has been. He has been sensational when he's been playing. But to be honest, when he's not been able to play, and he, he wasn't, well, he didn't start in this game, but being cautious with him, I believe, it doesn't really matter because you have such a high-quality striker on the bench in Denis Undav. But it doesn't feel like they've really lost out when they're not able to start Gavassi. That's absolutely sensational. He He's on loan at the moment from Brighton. I really hope they're able to work out a permanent deal, them and Stuttgart, because he's been fantastic. He's been a joy to watch. And if Stuttgart aren't able to snap him up, I'm sure another Bundesliga side will be able to because he, he's clearly at home in the Bundesliga and a very, very good striker. So, yeah, fingers crossed we get to keep him and watch him for a few years more. The second goal seemed to kill Frankfurt because they didn't do much in the second half. The best chance after half-time was for Segvassi after he had come on in the 59th minute. Stuttgart didn't need another goal in the end, though. They won 2-1. So, it continues a fantastic start to the season for Stuttgart. Third in the league and four points clear of Leipzig in fifth place as well. Who knows, at this rate, Stuttgart can make the Champions League. We've seen weirder in the Bundesliga over the last few years. I mean, Union Berlin win the Champions League last year. So, maybe we shouldn't discount Stuttgart. And it's credit to to the players. It's credit to Hernis. It's a credit to whoever decides to loan Dennis Sundav. Absolutely sensational bit of transfer business. And yeah, despite having a very similar squad to last year, and despite losing Wataru Endo as well, they have been absolutely fantastic this time around for Eintracht Frankfurt they're still seventh they're on 18 points so this this isn't the end of the world but this game wasn't very inspiring especially after the halftime break where you know they, they have to come back they have to fight they have to show signs of life and they just didn't there was no point in that second half where it looked like Frankfurt were gonna get anything from this game by the way credit to the groundskeepers at the Vold Stadion because obviously the NFL had been there in the prior two weeks and well actually not last week but the two weeks before that and you couldn't tell the pitch was absolutely fantastic which is more than can be said for some games in the Bundesliga this weekend. Wolfsburg 2, Leipzig 1, obviously a rematch of one of the games in the last round of the DFB-Pakal. 
and it was one that came out with the same result with Niko Kovac besting Marco Rosa for the second time this season. Wolfsburg opened scoring in the ninth minute through a Jonas Vind header. To be honest, it wasn't really on Vind though. He's been good start the season, eight goals in 11 games. So, you know, really good player so far. But to be honest, this wasn't his best goal from, from what he did because the German international, Janis Blaschwitz, who will not begin to call up if he plays like this many more times, should have dealt with it 10 times out of 10. It was a horrible attempt to save and then swat it away from the goal as it was going in, but he, he couldn't. It, it was it was terrible. And yeah, any goalkeeper in the Bundesliga should be dealing with that 10 times out of 10. He wasn't able to, though. Lois Pender would go down in the box shortly afterwards. It looked like a penalty on first viewing, and that is exactly what the referee gave I believe referee for this game was Robert Hartman. Yes, it was. VAR asked him to look again, and when he did look, he noticed what we all noticed, which was that it was a clear dive from Lois Pender. The penalty was cancelled, and more importantly, Hartman gave a Pender a yellow card, which is something that does not happen enough. Players need to be booked every single time for diving. We all hate diving. We all think it's terrible. But referees seem completely unwilling to actually do anything about it to give yellow cards for diving. Especially when Hartman had the chance to go and look at the monitor and see that it was a dive. And he could look at it and say, yes, that is definitely a dive. You know, he has to book him. And he did. Credit to Robert Hartman for that. Was Hartman the... VAR guy for that controversial Bochum Dortmund game. I think he was. But anyway, yeah, this was entirely the correct decision from Harmon. And I hope that more referees will follow his lead and actually start properly booking players every time they dive. There should be no excuses against that. If we want to kick diving out of the game, this is what we have to do. No matter how much Lois Appender complains about it, and no matter how much Marco Rosa complains about it, because he did, and he was also booked as a result. Marco Rosa was probably complaining less in the second half when Yusuf Poulsen equalised for the Rutten Bullen. But Wolfsburg would get the final goal of the game in the 66th minute. Rogerio wide open in the box after Die Wolfer were able to work the ball around. His shot was apparently over 100 kilometres per hour. Absolutely fantastic. This is the left-back's sixth game since joining from Sassuolo this summer. And before this, he'd been relatively unimpressive, but hopefully this is the start of a much better Wolfsburg career for the Brazilian. Leipzig were the better side in this game, but to be honest, the issues that they faced and the reason they lost was exactly the same as the game against Mainz a few weeks ago. They just could not take their chances. They were not effective in the final third whatsoever. And you can't do that well, against any side of the Bundesliga, but definitely not a side like Wolfsburg. So, yeah, this was this was another worrying performance. So obviously, they've completely lost touch with top two. I don't think we were expecting them to be at the level that Bayer Leverkusen and Bayern Munich have been so far this season. But still, I mean, they're not even as good as Dortmund, so... Oof. 
I guess the upside is that the problems that Leipzig have are fixable. And they do have the guys to fix that problem as well. Because, you know, you look at the likes of Yusuf Poulsen, Lois Appender, Chavi Siemens, Baumgartner, Forsberg. They do have the players who are capable of, you know, actually putting the ball thingy in the net thingy. But they need to be significantly better than they were in this game and in the game against Mines as well. Wolfsburg have ended a run of five winless in the league. This was a, a reasonable game for them. They're moving in the correct direction, eighth on 16 points and only two behind Frankfurt in seventh. Werder Bremen nil by Leverkusen, three the league leaders continuing to play very well. To be honest, with how well Bayer Leverkusen have started off the season, I think it's safe to say that they don't need any help. But help is what they got in the ninth minute when Olivier de Man put it into his own net to give Bayer Leverkusen a 1-0 lead. Who's de Man? Not him. He most certainly isn't. Yemi Frimpong would make it 2-0 in the 43rd minute, doing a great amount of help to my fancy football side. And then in the 76th minute, Alejandro Grimaldo with another good finish from him. It's his seventh of the season in the Bundesliga. Just to remind you, he's a left-back. So it's not the best that Leverkusen have played all season. You know, this wasn't a, a massively dominant performance. They've had better, but... They didn't need to be any better to win this game. I mean, if you're Ole Werner before this match, what what do you do? What what do you do to beat this by Leverkusen? Do you do you just like try and get a genie out of somewhere? You know, look for any lamps in the local area that you might be able to get a genie out of, or like I don't know, pray maybe. Hope that Marvin Dutch can be the single best player in world football, which he absolutely is, but not good enough to be by Leverkusen by himself. To be honest, he didn't have a good game, nor did anyone for Werder. So yeah, 3-0 win and absolutely comfortable for Xabi Alonso and the league leaders. Before we move on, we do have to talk about the Bayer Leverkusen fans. What? Bayer Leverkusen have fans? Yes, they do have fans. And they want to remind you that they are terrible. Because they had a massive banner in their stand during this game. Did it praise Chabi Alonso? Did it praise the team? No. Now, for some reason, completely unprovoked, it said there are many styles of music, but only two genders. Which obviously refers to the gender debate that just won't die because people apparently want to get angry about nothing. Now, this is stupid for many, many reasons. First of all, because there's absolutely no need to sort of try and provoke people in this way. Second of all, because it's just scientifically wrong, and we've known this for many decades now, but for some reason about two years ago, everyone, well, everyone of a certain political affiliation decided that they wanted to get angry about it. But also it's stupid because... I'm learning German at the moment, and anyone who has learnt German in the past will tell you that there are three genders in the German language. The masculine, the feminine, and the neuter. So, yeah, it's wrong on all fronts, and just completely 
brain dead. And obviously it will be no surprise to you that this hasn't gone down well with the higher-ups at Bayer Leverkusen. Speaking about this, the managing director, Fernando Caro, said this action was tasteless and wrong and it has nothing to do with the values such as openness and tolerance that Bayer Nurfia stands for as an organisation. So he was perfectly clear about what he thought and I want to be perfectly clear about what I think. The people who held up these banners are stupid. Hoffenheim won, mines won, and to be honest, my expectations for this game were incredibly low. And that's not entirely fair, because I had just finished watching the heidenheim Bochum game that had been on before. And I, I say that like it's a box set. It's not. That was the game that was on directly before this game. And to be honest, that game just, while it's last in the running order, it drained all the joy out of me. It was truly terrible. So I... I sort of based my expectations for this game off that game that's not fair that's not a fair assumption to to make but i i thought this was going to be dreadful and it, it wasn't in the end it was actually a really exciting game and a game with moments of quality and moments of not that the quality came with Mainz's goal eddie milson fernandez with an amazing long ball for Marco Richter, he would score his first goal for Mainz since joining this summer from Hertha Berlin. So absolutely fantastic for him. The lack of quality came at the end of the first half when Hoffenheim tried to equalise and we'll say didn't do that. They had a million chances nearly and just could not score. To, to try and give you a breakdown of what happened, I mean, go and watch the highlights because you'll be able to actually watch just how this must have been like torture for Hoffenheim fans, all four of them. You'll, you'll be able to watch how excruciating this was. But first of all, Grisha Prömel had a shot, it was saved by Robin Zentner, that immediately went to the feet of Maxi Bayer and his shot was blocked by Fernandez. Then that fell to the feet of Marius Bultair and he would shoot, but it would be blocked this time by Bavero. And then it would come back to Bultair. He would head towards the goal, but it would hit the post. And then Bultair would have a third chance. And this time it was blocked by Tom Krause. So they had five shots in the space of like 20 seconds, not 20 seconds, 10 seconds, and just couldn't score. Do you know what it reminded me of? And this is a reference that, like, one listener is going to get. Do we have many listeners from America? I think we do. But, yeah, I, I appreciate that not many listeners are going to get this reference. But it reminded me of the Charles Smith game. I believe that was Nick's Bulls in the 1993 NBA playoffs, I want to say. But, yeah, that's what this moment reminded me of. And the commentary from Marv Albert over that which was absolutely brutal so yeah that's that's what this reminded me of and that is probably the nichiest reference that i've ever done on this podcast but yeah anyway let's let's go back into the actual game three minutes into the second half hoffenheim would convert and they would only need the one chance to do it as well so absolutely fantastic and it was really good finish as well robert scove volleying in a pavel kaderebeck cross after that, Mainz took control of the game. They were easily the better side. Marco Richter had two free kicks that hit the crossbar. And Mainz would also have a penalty when Kevin Akpaguma fouled Jason Lee. However, 
Iman Barcock would see his penalty saved by Oliver Bauman. That is at least the second penalty this season that Bauman has saved because he saved one from Dennis Undav away at Stuttgart. So yeah, he's had a great start to the season. Obviously, Oliver Bauman's been a great keeper for Hoffenheim for a long time now. And he was the reason why Hoffenheim got a point. Despite the fact that they would have been the favourites entering the game, they should be just happy to get a point because mines were easily the better side. Still no word on if or when mines are going to hire a new manager, to be honest. Jan Sievert's made a, a decent start. They were the better side against Hoffenheim. They probably should have won. And they had a really, truly boring game against Darmstadt, but they picked up a point away against a fellow relegation contender. So there's not too much to complain about from that perspective either. So yeah, maybe maybe giving the job on a full-time basis. There's not enough to go off so far to decide that, but he, he has been he has been decent. So it wouldn't be a terrible decision if they decided to give him the job. Obviously he knows the players. He knows what he wants to achieve. They know what he wants to achieve. And it's working so far to be honest. Two points from two games could have very easily been four points though. And also by the way, Jonathan Burkhart came back in this game. It's his first game in about a year after his injury to his left knee. He was misty-eyed as he was giving an interview to the company I call Dazen. He said, quote, It was incredible to be here again with the team. It was such a long journey, and I'm just happy that I was able to be there again. The Mines fans made a lot of noise for him as well, serenading him as he was on the pitch. You could see that was something that he, he really enjoyed. And it's great news both for Jonathan Burkhart and for Mines as well. Freiburg won, Darmstadt won, and before we go into the game, Torsten Liebenecht was back on the sideline for Darmstadt. Obviously, in the last full episode of the podcast, we talked about how his wife, Simone, had suffered a stroke, and obviously, that required all of his strength and attention, and he wasn't at their 0-0 draw against Mainz. Well, he was back for this game, and he was... Thankful for all of the support that had been shown to him, not only by Darmstadt fans, but by the wider German football community as well. He said, quote, We received a lot of letters and it was helpful to see who thinks of us in moments like this. Thank you very much on behalf of my wife for many letters and mailings and also to the South Stand for the banner. It was very touching to watch from home. By the way, I didn't talk about that last week because I was late to the game, but the South Stand at Darmstadt had a, a lovely banner expressing support for Torsten Liebenecht and his wife. Speaking about Simone, he said, quote, She's recovering well and we're continuing to work on making it even better. So, yeah, really nice to hear. And a reminder that, obviously, football isn't just about the wins and losses. It's about the people involved as well. Going into the game though, Matthias Honsack would open for scoring for Darmstadt. His shot taking quite the deflection of Philip Leinhardt and wrong-footing Atabolu as a result. Lucas Lair would equalise in the 35th minute, but that was where the goal scoring would end. Freiburg weren't creative enough in the second half. They're now winless in four Bundesliga games for the first time in three years, which is absolutely shocking. Darmstadt, meanwhile, will be very happy with a well-earned point. 
Köln nil, Bayern Munich won. This game was not as close as the final scoreline would let on. Bayern Munich easily the better side. They could have won by six or seven. But they only got the one goal in the end, and it was the only goal they needed, and you'll never guess who scored it. You will never guess. It is a shocker. It is so hard to guess who scored for Bayern Munich. That's right, it was Alexander Pavlovich. No, it was Harry Kane. Harry Kane scoring yet another goal. Insert the shocked Pikachu face meme here. He's scored 18 goals this season, which breaks the record for the most goals that an Englishman has scored in one season in the Bundesliga. Yes, even Kevin Keegan didn't get two 18 goals, apparently, which is quite a surprise, though apparently he wasn't particularly liked when he first went to Hamburg, so I don't know why. But, yeah, I would have thought he'd have scored more than 18 in one season. He did have... I'm going to get his name wrong again. Horst Hrubesch up front with him. So maybe that didn't help. But yeah. Still, it's a, a shock that he's got that record so early on. We're 12 games into the season. And he's already done something that no Englishman has ever been able to do before. So absolutely sensational. Maybe the reason that Bayern didn't score more was the state of the pitch which wasn't great and even Stefan Baumgart the co-manager wasn't happy he said before the game that he felt the need to apologize to opposition managers and opposition players for how bad the pitch is at the Ryan Energy Stadion I assume that the senior groundskeeper at the stadium will not be giving Stefan Baumgart a Christmas card this year on the basis of these comments. But yeah, Bayern dominant in their narrow victory and also they didn't use any subs in this game which was the first time that that's happened since the 11th of December 2010 when they beat St Pauli 3-0 in the Bundesliga. Nice to remember St. Pauli were in the Bundesliga a few years before I started supporting them. Actually, quite a lot of years before I started supporting them. But anyway, Bayern were dominant in this game. They did deserve all three points. Before we move on, a new story that I, I didn't see at first. But, oh boy, we have to talk about it because it's hilarious. So, it was four degrees Celsius in Cone at kickoff on... Friday night and it's nice to see coaches looking out for each other you know they know the strain that each other are under they know what it's like standing on the sideline in the cold for 90 minutes and as Tuchel and Baumgart went to shake hands before the game Tuchel placed something in Baumgart's pocket which he didn't notice at first but when he was able to get it out and have a look Tuchel had placed gloves in Baumgart's pocket. Obviously, Baumgart is known for wearing short sleeves, sometimes shorts in incredibly cold weather. We talked about this very early on this year. I think it was for the... It might have been for the game against Werder Bremen, the first game back after the World Cup, where it was zero degrees Celsius and Baumgart was stood there in a T-shirt. And he, he was in the same attire on Friday night. He was wearing a T-shirt despite it only being four degrees Celsius. And yeah, Tuchel just wanted to make sure he was warm. It was absolutely lovely. Speaking about it afterwards, Baumgart said, he probably had the feeling that I was cold and probably wanted to help, but I basically don't notice the cold during the game, which is why I labelled him as an honorary Yorkshireman at the time. And I'd like to say 
again that that is most certainly true. But yeah, nice to see Thomas Tuchel looking out for his fellow manager. Anyway, final game, Heidenheim nil, Bochum nil. Yeah, this was a game between two sides who were desperately trying to avoid defeat and therefore didn't do anything. There was one truly amazing chance in this game, which was when Tim Kleindienst was able to latch onto a back pass that didn't quite make it all the way back to the keeper. An easy one-on-one, -on -one, and if you are the Bundesliga striker, you have to be scoring that 10 times out of 10, but he skied it over the bar. This is the thing, right? The difference between the leagues, between the Bundesliga, the Schweiz, and the Dritter, essentially, normally, is meant to be how many mistakes you can get away with. If you make a mistake and the opposition are able to run through on goal, how many times is that going to cost you? In the Dritter Liga, not particularly often. In the Spite Bundesliga, more often. And it's meant to be the case that in the Bundesliga, if you make a mistake on the level that Bochum did at the end of this game, you always get punished for it. But Tim Kleindienst wasn't able to punish Bochum for their horrific mistake. You could see Bochum players in the background consoling already. They they had their heads in their hands. They thought it was over. They thought he was going to score, but he, he wasn't able to. And he really really should have done by the way it is worth mentioning Felix Raya was the ref for this game and unlike his Felix counterpart Felix Brook he is not a liked referee and games like this prove why because he was dreadful in this game he, he was truly bad his decision making was all over the place there was one moment where there was a clear foul against Heidenheim I can't remember who it was now but he didn't give it, and then just 10 seconds later gave a much softer free kick for Bochum because of a foul, which wasn't a foul at all. So his lack of consistency in this game was truly stunning and terrible. So yeah, that, that wasn't great. Anyway, what is great is having a look at the Bundesliga table. We all like to do that. So, after 12 games, it is still Bayer Leverkusen who lead the way there on 34 points and undefeated, as are Bayern Munich, but they're on 32. It's then a five-point drop down to Stuttgart in third. They're on 27 points. Borussia Dortmund, meanwhile, are on 24. At the, oh, They moved back up into fourth, by the way, because obviously Leipzig were fourth before but they lost this weekend to Wolfsburg. They're fifth on 23, Hoffenheim sixth on 20. At the wrong end of the table, Köln are back to bottom six points from 12 games. Union Berlin, meanwhile, move up one place. They're on seven points, and Mainz are in 16th on eight points. One point clear of them in 15th is Darmstadt. They're on nine points. Bochum are in 14th on 10. Then Heidenheim and Werder Bremen are in 13th and 12th, respectively. They're on 11 points each. Player of the week in the Bundesliga this weekend. It was a very hard decision. Second place, very narrowly, is Edemilson Fernandez, who played fantastically for Mainz and helped get them a point against Hoffenheim. But... The player of the week, the guy who I think just about beats him, if only because he won the game for his side, is Dennis Undav for Stuttgart. His two goals, obviously the difference between a win and a loss for the AFB against Eintracht Frankfurt. 
I do think it is worth pointing out, through the opening 12 games of the season, a Stuttgart player has one player of the week on four different occasions now. So absolutely fantastic. Sergio Grassi with two, Chris Furyk with one, and now Dennis Undav with the other. Stuttgart have made an incredible start to the season and obviously that relies on a lot of players playing absolutely fantastically. To be honest, Maxi Mittelstedt could have also won player of the week this weekend. So yeah, nothing to fault with them. Okay, it is now time to make our way down to the Spiter Bundesliga and refuse to shake the manager's hand as we do so. And let's start off with the Saturday Night Football Fortuna Dusseldorf 5, Schalke 3, which is not a result that I expected to be perfectly honest. Obviously, Schalke didn't start off the game against Alversburg before the international break. Well, and that was a theme they carried into this game as well because they did not start off well in this one. Within 26 minutes, they would be 3-0 down. Dusseldorf controlled the opening of the game. They got their first in the 13th minute when Vincent Vermey would head in a Nicholas Cavorvi cross. Then in the 19th minute, Felix Klaus was found in the middle of the box and his shot would deflect off Devi Merkin to go in. Then with the third goal, Ralph Farman hadn't really done much wrong for Schalke to be 2-0 down. You know, the, the problems with the first two goals were from the defence. But with the third goal, oh boy, did Ralph Farman commit a boo-boo because he horribly misjudged a Christos Solis shot which hit the crossbar and went in front of goal whereas Farman was like essentially pressed up against the post and it, it bounced off the bar and perfectly into the path of Vincent Vermey where he was able to head it in. Farman, after the goal was conceded, was heard shouting, that can't be true, but it was. It was a nightmare from the Schalke defence and from him as well, as they were already 3-0 down. So, absolutely fantastic start. Let's maybe try and be good through the whole game in the future. Just a, just a little note, I'm sure Carol Goretz will be thankful for my genius input. But Goretz did make some changes. In the 33rd minute, he would make a triple substitution. Dominic Drexler, Lino Templeman and Thomas Ovian would come off for Blendy Adrizi, Paul Seguin and Tobias Moore. Drexler apparently was injured. He, was, he, he wasn't he was at 100% whether it was. But yeah, he had to come out. The other two were just changes that Goretz wanted to make. And he would move from... A back three with wing backs to a normal back four. And to be honest, it was actually successful because Dusseldorf didn't score for the rest of the half. So it was the correct move. What wasn't the correct move was what Thomas Owean did because he decided when he came off to not shake Carol Goretz's hand. And oh boy. Did the Schalke manager not like that? Because he said, quote, I will not accept such behaviour. He should have respect for the team, for the club and the coach. The team is the most important, not the individual. And according to Schalke as well, he has been fined and will be spending the week training with the under-23s, which I believe is the same punishment that... Timo Baumgartel got for his notorious interview on Sky Sport after the St. Pauli game. So, yeah, really interesting, but 
I get it. It was unacceptable behaviour and it's not something a professional footballer should be doing. Even if you don't think you're playing poorly, you have to accept that the manager will want to make changes early sometimes because tactically it's not working. That's not necessarily a dig against you, though. Let me be clear, Thomas Ovian was dreadful. So he really has nothing to complain about. And yet he, he decided that he wanted to. So great move from him. Anyway, the changes that Gavetz made and whatever team talk he gave at the halftime break clearly worked because Schalke came out for that second half and they were much better. Martin Kaminsky getting the first goal back in the 57th minute. And at that point, who knows? We've seen stranger things. You might remember the infamous comeback Schalke had against Borussia Dortmund a few years ago. Was it 2017, I want to say, where they came back from 4-0 down to draw 4 all. So... Who knows, something similar could happen here, except it looked like that wasn't going to be the case when Fortuna Dusseldorf made it for one. Isaac Bergman Johansson flicking ball on for Christos Solis as he fired into the top corner. Schalke kept going though and got two goals in the space of two minutes to really get back into the game. The first one, Tobias Moore with a cross for Thomas Callas to head in. It's his first goal for Schalke since joining from Bristol City this summer. Hi, Tals. Hi. He only scored one in 155 for the Robins, which came against Coventry in September of 2020, just in case you're wondering, Tals. But, yeah, he was able to get a goal for Schalke slightly quicker than he did for Bristol City. Anyway, 100 seconds after that, Schalke would get another. Tennis Borussia Berlin legend Blendy Idrisi with a chipped through ball for Brian Lasme as he converted a one-on-one. If you want to hear more about Blendy Idrisi and Tennis Borussia Berlin, you're going to have to listen to the last season of the Thousand Hours podcast. Plug. Anyway... So, at that point, you know, 4-3, game on, obviously. And I thought, wow, Schalke really could come back into this and get the winner. But, obviously, as they powered men forward, as they tried to get the equaliser in the closing stages of this game, they were always going to be susceptible to the counter-attack. And that is what happened. Jona Nemich would round off one for Fortuna to make it 5-3 and to seal the game. Fortuna arguably made this game harder for themselves than it needed to be. But they did win, and they do deserve credit for that. For Schalke, I think it's safe to say that this game hasn't gone down too well with the fans. There has been a lot of discontent, and there have been a lot of murmurings about fans deciding to not go to the next game en masse. And can you imagine that Nord curve at Schalke being empty or near empty? It would be a real sort of sight to show just how far Schalke have fallen and the club have taken drastic actions in this regard. They've issued a letter to the fans which is really interesting. It reads, Dear Schalke, after a sobering performance on Saturday evening, we would like to say a few words to you. 
We ourselves are very unhappy with the current situation. What's more, we are ashamed of some of the performances in the last few months. We have planned much more, every single one of us. Not meeting this demand from you members, fans and also ourselves disappoints us greatly. After a game like we played in the first 45 minutes on Saturday evening, we all feel disappointment, emptiness, anger and shame. Because we know that Schalke Fear is not worthy. The first 30 minutes are inexcusable. This feeling in each individual carries the risk of falling apart, blaming each other and digging in further. But this is not the time to sink into self-pity or self-doubt or to point fingers at others, but rather to get up again, analyse, look for solutions, using all means possible and support each other. It is our duty to repay the trust you have placed in us. We still have three extremely important games before the winter break in which we will show a different face. I mean, touch wood, right? We can assure you that we have started dealing with our frustrations on the night and intensified our search for solutions again. It's about the honour of every individual and we will not stop fighting for it. None of us want to perform poorly. Well, yeah, obviously. None of us want to lose a game. Yeah, obviously. None of us want to put the club in a bad light. We all have different demands on ourselves and we will face this situation and get out of it together with you. Good luck to your team. And good luck is what they need at the moment because, yeah, that performance, particularly in the opening 30 minutes, wasn't good. I mean, if you want to look at the, the upside and if you want to be an optimist, and, you know, I, I think you can be in this situation in all fairness, which I'm sure a lot of Schalke fans will disagree with, but for me... How they responded to that shows that Carol Gavetz is a reasonable manager and it shows how they can get out of this hole. But to be honest, there is going to be a point this season where, oh, they could have and should have will stop mattering because at that point they will be genuinely in danger of going down. They do have a few games before the winter break, just like every other side. They do need to show a different face, like they have promised in that letter, if they want to convince their fans that this year isn't going to end in a serious disaster. Still, whilst I have optimism for Schalke in the long term, I think it's still going to be a while until they're as good as Alversberg, which is not a sentence that any German football fan expected to say ever. But that is the world we find ourselves in. Alversberg 4, Paderborn 1. When this game finished on Saturday afternoon, Alversberg temporarily moved up to third in the Zweiter Bundesliga. They are genuine promotion contenders. The game didn't start off like that. 22 minutes in, they went 1-0 down to Bastion Class, finding it a bit too easy to waltz through the Alversberg defence before slotting in. But after that, it was all Alversberg. They were absolutely fantastic. They equalised in the 41st minute. Semi Sahin playing through Lukas Schnaubacher for his third goal of the season. That made it one all at the half-time break. It was a close first half. The second half... Not as close, because just five minutes in, Alversberg would have their second pole stock playing through a wide-open Schnaubacher for his fourth goal of the season, which is still behind the 15 in 29 he scored last year, but he, he looks like he's starting to find his feet at the Spider Bundesliga level. It's not going to be like an overnight thing with players who are making their way up the divisions. He was in the regional league with Alversberg before that as well, of course, so... Yeah, it's not a surprise that he's he's taking his time to get used to this level, but if he plays like this, he'll have many more goals to come. 
Anyway, Paul Stock, who assisted Schnaubacher, would then get a goal of his own. Granted, his shot from the edge of the box did take a big deflection off both Muller and Hoffmeyer, but that's not the important thing. The important thing is that it went in. And then 4-1 in the 60th minute. So they scored these three goals in the space of 10 minutes and all within the opening quarter of the second half. But Yannick Rosch out with far too much space on the left. He fired his shot at Hoof, who saved it, but his deflection went straight into the path of Maurice Neubauer, who headed in. I do feel bad for Yannick Hoof because there wasn't much he could have done about most of the goals. However, there was a lot that the Paderborn defence could have done. The reason Alversberg scored these goals wasn't just because they're great on the counter-attack, which they have been all season, in fact. They sort of... They remind me of Union Berlin under Urs Fischer. So that's that's quite a good sort of team to be trying to play like. But it wasn't just their counter-attack. It was also the fact that Paderborn left all of that space to be exploited. It was it was far too easy for Alversberg to sort of capitalise on the poor spatial awareness from the Paderborn defence. There's a lot to work on for Lucas Kwasniok. For Alversberg, though, like I said, they are in the promotion race. They're on 24 points. That is just two behind Holstein Kiel in third and three behind HSV in second. And with how they're playing, why not? Why not? They could genuinely get promoted. And I think, obviously, I won't say Paulus be promoted more than them, but I think we all want to see Alversberg in the Bundesliga very secretly. Well, not secretly with me i'm very open about that but anyway let's move on because i i could spend hours gushing about alversberg but that's that's not going to be a very interesting podcast for for you so let's talk about Karlsruhe instead who beat nuremberg 4-1 this weekend i don't know if christian eichner told his players that they needed fast start in this game but if he did he must have been disappointed because he did not get it it took cars for a very long time to get going in this game but they did eventually open the scoring after 10 seconds yeah, it took just 10 seconds for cars to score the opener a long ball from philip heiss would be played by Van Itzek into the path of Paul Nabel as he would have a one-on-one and convert. It's not quite the fastest goal in Spider Bundesliga history, but it's close. The fastest goal in the history of Spider was scored by Benjamin Siegert, who scored after just eight seconds for Vehen against Greuterfurf on the 5th of October 2007, which is also apparently the fastest goal in German professional football. But yeah, still somewhat fast somewhat decent start you know 10 seconds one nil up that's okay anyway around 3610 seconds later nuremberg would find themselves level philip heiss this time doing less well as he would gift the ball in the box to chan azun and that's not a mistake you can make as he found it easy to score that was straight after fabian schlausner hit the bar as well so even better, he'd hit the bar, they ran straight up the other end, Nuremberg, and would score to level the game. But luckily, Karlsruhe and Schlausner would get their lead back, not 10 seconds, but 10 minutes later, with a striker heading in a Paul Nabel cross at the back post. 
But who zibs if I'd say would then score twice late on to put the game to bed, getting the third in the 90th minute before scoring from an incredibly narrow angle into the roof for net in the 94th. It is worth watching the highlights to this game, not only for that goal after 10 seconds, but also for the fourth goal from Karlsruhe as well, which was absolutely fantastic. It was surprising at half-time that Karlsruhe were only one goal up. The final score, 4-1, being a much better reflection of how the game went, despite the fact that those final two goals did come so late on. It was a much-needed result for Karlsruhe as well, as they go three points clear of Schalke in the relegation places. Nuremberg, meanwhile, are now five points off third. Hans of Ostock 2, St. Pauli 3, and before we can go into the game, we once again have to talk about the vile behaviour of the Hans of Ostock fans, which we often have to do when discussing this fixture. Before the game, they had a large banner in the home end, which, among other sort of prefabricated buildings, had a picture of the Sunflower House in the Lichtenhagen district, and... That's important because it is a direct reference to the Vostok riots of 1992, which we've mentioned on this podcast before because they had done something in the past to link back to the Vostok riots. It was last year to sort of, well, in their mind, celebrate the 30th anniversary. In most Germans' minds, they don't want to celebrate, they want to remember and make sure that doesn't happen again. But just in case you've forgotten, it was in August of 1992 and a large mob of people gathered in front of the Sunflower House and were throwing incendiary devices and shouting racist slogans because the house had a reception centre for asylum seekers in it. So it was this horrible racist attack. If you want to look up the Rostock riots more, then you can do so. But it is a true dark moment in the history of post-reunification Germany. And one that cannot be forgotten, but shouldn't be celebrated like the Rostock fans were doing. This was a, a dog whistle. It was a way to to show it and to taunt people with it, but in a way where it can't be directly seen as glorification, even though we know that's entirely what it is. And Hansa, Rostock, the club, have been trying to downplay the incident because they're, while truly vile, they don't want to accept the fact that their fan base has a load of scumbags in it. They were trying to say that the TIFO did not glorify the incident but we know Hans of Ostock fans and we know they do glorify that incident we know they celebrate that incident kind of like what Neil Warnock said about Al has if I would compare them to sewer rats but that would be disrespectful to sewer rats I think St Pauli's official Instagram page said it best when they said the choreo with the sunflower house in Lichtenhagen works according to an old known pattern it is repeatedly shown with double meaning in order to attract public attention and outrage with certain symbolism and to be able to duck away comfortably during criticism or even claim they're the victim however there must be no ambiguity on such important topics we need clear positions for humanity as demonstrated by the guest curve on Saturday in Rostock with their choreo for the day against violence against women. This action deserves respect and above all more attention so we prefer to display these banners and 
it really is worth going to the St. Pauli Instagram if you can and having a look at those banners because they were absolutely fantastic and it shows the difference between St. Pauli and Hansa Vostok where Hansa Vostok want to celebrate one of the darkest days in post-reunification Germany and claim that's what they want the country to be like. St. Pauli look at how to make Germany better. That is the difference between the two clubs and that is why St. Pauli are so much better than Hansa Vostok could ever dream of being. The banners, by the way, and these have been translated through Google, so probably wrong, but you'll get the general gist of what they were saying. They said, women live freely, violence against women is a man's problem, manners must be part of the solution, and 15 more femicides until Christmas, which I assume is based on the number of femicides that are most likely to be committed between now and Christmas based on current crime statistics, which is horrifying, though, like I said, it's fantastic that St. Pauli and their fans are bringing awareness to this issue. And also, actually, by the way, it's worth mentioning, whilst we're on the topic, Syria have been doing the same thing. They have a violence against women's weekend where all the players have red lipstick on their cheeks, and the, the refs do as well, to help raise awareness of, of the problem with violence against women. So, fantastic to see so many people trying to be part of the solution. Anyway, let's talk about the game, Ben. It was a truly bad start for St. Pauli. Horrific defending would lead to a penalty for Hans Vostok in the ninth minute, which they would score. But just six minutes later, St. Pauli would be level, and it was a screamer from Manolis Saliakis. Go and watch this goal if you haven't seen it. First time hit from far outside the box into the top corner. Nothing that Hansa could have done about that. And then just... Four minutes after that, St. Paulo will be 2-1 up. Saliakis getting involved again as he would cross in for Marcel Hartl, who would score at the second time of asking. And just four minutes after that, it would be 3-1 to the boys in brown. Dapo off a lion with a well-placed finish into the bottom corner from just outside the box. St. Pauli were definitely the better side for the entire first half. After that, they should have scored again and they had a few really good chances at the beginning of the second half as well they looked like they were going to coast to victory but in the 80th minute they gave away a second penalty and again not great from St. Pauli it was scored and after that St. Pauli were really wobbly but they were able to get away with the win which they did serve on the balance of play though like I said Hansa did have one or two really good chances at the end of the game to equalize and if that had happened, it would have felt really unjust. But hey, Karma, the football gods, intervened and gave the objectively better side the three points. You know, I, I know I'm biased and that I, I obviously support St. Pauli, but I think that's something that pretty much we all agree on. Unless you've suffered a particularly nasty injury to your head, you almost certainly agree that St. Pauli are definitely the better of the two sides. Now, I know people who are on the right politically who would say St. Pauli are obviously the better side because they're just so much better in every single way and they were better on the pitch as well. Kaiserslautern nil, Holstein kill three and obviously Kaiserslautern have not been on a, a great one of form recently and it feels like when you're bad things just go against you more than they would do normally and that was the case for the opening goal of this game when Philip Clement tried to play a pass Back to his keeper 
and instead played what turned out to be a perfect through ball to Benedict Pichler as he would run through to score one on one. That was in the 16th minute just before the end of the first half. Keel would have their second. A corner managed to make its way to the back post completely untouched where it would be turned in by Jan Fita Arp for his second of the season. After the goal was scored, there was lots of booing, lots of shouting from the Kaiserslautern fans, and this seemed to affect the mood of the players on the pitch because there was a lot of petty players while and you know shoving and getting aggressive unnecessarily. And it seemed to be the hallmark of a team who are, you know, sort of struggling with their current form and in, in a very bad mood. So 2-0 at the half-time break, that was the correct score. Benedict Pischler would add one more in the second half to complete the scoring for Holstein Kiel, finding it far too easy to waltz into the box and score. It's his seventh in the league this season and fifth in his last four in all competitions. So he's been playing really well. Holstein Kiel have been playing really well. They are sat in third in the league. They are definitely a promotion contender. At the moment, the same cannot be said about Kaiserslautern because they are bad. They are not playing well. They lost their opening two games of the season, but after that, they went on a really good run. Five wins and two draws in seven league games. However, since then, eh, not so good. One draw and four losses in their last five. Now, it is fair to say that they've had some really tough opponents. If you look at those five games, they played against Dusseldorf, HSV, Firth, Bayhen and Kiel all of whom are in the top eight. So, you know, it is a pretty tough run, but their performances have been bad. And I think more worrying, like I said earlier on, is their mentality. They just seem to be, you know, playing in a more aggressive way than they normally do and losing their cool quite easily as well. And that is not going to help them turn around their form anytime soon. So that is the thing for me that needs to be fixed more than anything else if they want to boost themselves back up the table and be the promotion contenders that their visitors actually are. Hanover 2, Hertha Berlin 2, Hertha Berlin now undefeated in four fight Bundesliga games, but they have drawn the last three on the bounce. This game looked like it wasn't going to go that way at first because they were 2-0 up at the half-time break. The first of Hertha Berlin's goals coming in the 29th minute, Florian Niederlechner with a good bouncing finish. It's his second goal in two games, having not scored this season before that. Obviously... Hertha have been getting a lot of their goals from Harris Tabakovic and from Smel Praviak and Fabian Reza. But it'd be really good if Florian Niederlechner can help out in that regard as well. Remember, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, he was brought in last year to be a good striker at the Bundesliga level, let alone at the Zweite Bundesliga level. Anyway, the other goal coming right on the doorstep of half-time, Pascal Clemens scoring that one. So Hertha Berlin were 2-0 up at half-time, but to be honest, they were the only two chances Hertha had had in the first half. They were incredibly fortunate to be 2-0 up, and they didn't have any chances of note in the second half, as Hanover would come back. Kevard Nielsen getting the first for the hosts with his fifth goal of the season, and then Marcel Halstenberg would play an amazing long ball for Andreas Vogelsammer to score. That one coming 10 minutes from time, so... Hanover would have felt robbed if they had not got something out of this game. Um, that would have definitely been the case because they were the much better side for the majority of the match. 
For Hertha Berlin, I think this just confirms what we probably suspected for at least the last few weeks now, which is that they're just a middle-of-the-park fighter Bundesliga side, and that is a lot better than what it looked like they were going to be at the start of the season. So they are making progress, but when they take on the big sides, it's rare for them to get results. They did get a, a big win over Holstein Kiel a few weeks ago, and, well, actually, no, a few months ago now, that was in September, and also they did have that big 5-0 win at home to Greuther Firth, but to be honest, for the most part, when they take on the, the promotion contenders and the big boys in the league, they do seem to struggle, and this was another example of that, because they did go 2-0 up, but they didn't really deserve it, and a draw is a much more... Fitting reflection of how the game went, though. To be honest, if Hanover had started the game better, if it had a better first half, then they would have probably comfortably won this game. HSV 2, Eintracht Braunschweig 1. Not a vintage performance from Hamburger, but enough to get to the three points, which at the end of the day is the most important thing for them. They scored two goals in the space of two minutes in the first half. Guilherme Ramos heading in a cross. I believe that's his first goal since joining HSV this summer from Armini Bielefeld. And then Emmanuel Ferrai with the other. For the second one, it was just a case of HSV pressing Eintracht Braunschweig straight from the kickoff, and Daniel Schoening's men simply couldn't cope with that. Fabio Kaufmann scored a great goal in the second half from long range, but it was HSV who were probably the best of the two sides. Through the opening 30 minutes of the game, they were beyond dominant, and they could have been 3 or 4 0 up. After that, when they were 2 up, they did start to slow down a bit. And I have seen some HSV fans expressing concern with this performance. But to be honest, they did what it took to win. And when I take off my St. Pauli hat and I put on my neutral hat, which is just grey. It's very boring. But when I put on my neutral hat and I look at this game, there's no reason to in my opinion, be concerned about HSV. Obviously, though, their performance next week is going to tell us a lot more about whether this side can get promoted. Greuther Firth 2, Vehen 0, an unexpected meeting of two sides who are in the promotion race. Well, sorry, it's not an unexpected meeting because both sides in the Spider Bundesliga, so obviously they're going to play twice this season, but... It was unexpected in the sense that their promotion contenders, I don't think any of us saw that coming from either Greuther Firth or Vahem this season, but it was the Cloverleafs who got a vital three points. They went 1-0 up early on in this game in the 20th minute when Robert Wagner would steal a ball before playing through Armindo Sieb. Robert Wagner being a Stuttgart legend for me and Armindo Sieb being a tennis Borussia Berlin legend Thousand Hours Podcast. Plug. Anyway, in the second half, in the 84th minute, the game would be put to bed when Branimir Hergotta would chest across before hitting it on the half volley into the bottom corner. To be honest, I typed the notes for this game on my phone and I've just gone and looked at the note for the second goal and it says cheating a corner. And I, I thought, wait, did I accuse Branimir Hergotta of cheating in some way? And then I realised, no, it's meant to be chesting and that's auto-correct. So, yeah, he, he chested the corner really well and then hit it on the half volley into the bottom corner. The second half was a very scrappy affair. 
which I guess is not something we would expect from two sides fighting for the top of the league, but Firth were the better side. They've now won four on the bounce and five straight at home. Meanwhile, this ends Vahan's run of four straight wins. Still, this has been a much better start to the season than Vahan would have expected, and they're only five points behind Holstein Kiel in third place, so they do still have a real chance of being promoted, which is not something that anyone expected to say this year. Final game, Osnabrück nil, Magdeburg 2. Osnabrück not having an as-fun experience in the Bundesliga as Vahan are, and they lost again this weekend to a Magdeburg side who, you know, weren't exactly great before this game. The first goal for Magdeburg coming in the 52nd minute, Herbert Bockhorn with a great pass across the pitch for Baris Attic, who got his shot under Leonard Grill. Grill probably should have stopped that. He has been a much better keeper this season than he was in this game. And then in the 71st minute, Lucas Schuler would score his first goal in nine games. We talked about him in like nearly every episode of the start of this season. But he's back in the scoring column as he volleyed in a Bavis Attic free kick. So yeah, this was a much needed win for Magdeburg. They had a slight advantage in the first half. They were far the better side in the second half. And it's their first win in eight Sveiter Bundesliga games. For Osnabrück, this was a home game against a side who were in truly bad form. If they can't win here, then... It's looking truly bad for them. Hopefully the new manager is able to do something about their truly wretched form. Anyway, let's have a look at the Spider Bundesliga table then. After 14 games, St. Pauli still leading the way. The only side in the Spider with an undefeated record. That might be the last week, I can say that. 30 points from 14 games. Three points clear of City rivals Hamburger on 27 in second. Then it's Holstein Kiel in third on 26 points. We've still got a decent seeded batch after that. Though the gaps are starting to get a bit bigger. 4th, Fortuna Dusseldorf, 24th, 5th, Greuther Firth, 24th, 6th, Alversberg, 24th, 7th, Hanover, 23, 8th, Vahen, 21, and 9th, Nuremberg, 21. So a lot of teams still fighting for promotion. At the wrong end of the table, I think we can safely say that Osnabrück and Eintracht Braunschweig aren't going to be pushing for promotion this season. They're on 7 and 8 points respectively. Meanwhile, Schalke are still in relegation places with 13 points. It's then a 3-point jump up to Hans Rostock, Karlsruhe and Magdeburg. They're all on 16 points, taking up the places between 15th and 13th respectively. Player of the week in the Sveiter Bundesliga. It was a tough call this week, but I've decided to go for Maurice Neubauer of Alversberg as he helped his side to another big win 4-1 against Paderborn. Okay, don't get mad, but it's time to go into the Dritter League. And of course, a big game in the Dritter this weekend came on Sunday as the top two faced off. Dinamo Dresden going up against Jan Regensburg. And it was the side who were relegated from the Spiter last year who got the win. Jan Regensburg have now won nine games in a row. No, that is not me saying German for no. That is the number nine or nine as it is in German. The 93rd minute header from former Dinamo man Florian Ballas being the only goal of the game as Regensburg have gone to the top of the Dritter Liga for the first time this season. You know, it was really weird because I was sure 
that Florian Ballas had played for St. Pauli at some point, but having thought about it for a bit longer, I've now realised that the reason I think that is because I signed him for St. Pauli on Football Manager back on, I think it would have been FM20 or FM19. So yeah, when reality blends with fiction, it's, it's a worrying sign for me, but yeah... I was sat there for ages going, I'm sure he used to play for St. Pauli. I'm, I'm convinced of it. And then I realised, oh no, you signed him on Football Manager. Anyway, Saturday was quite an aggro day in the Dritte League because there were six red cards across the four games that kicked off at 1pm. Just calm down, lads. We don't need to be this feisty after the international break. Apparently, I was annoyed about the Dritte League not being played over the international break, and the players were too, and they expressed that anger this weekend. One of the games with a red card was Essen's 2-1 loss away at Ingolstadt. All the goals came in the opening half hour before Felix Goethe was sent off for the visitors. Um, before you ask, yes, he is the brother of Mario Goethe. Anyway... Essen have lost third place as Vull take it from them with a 2-1 win away at Waldhof Mannheim. It's their fourth win on the bounce. Ulm have arrested a run of three straight defeats as they won 2-1 against Freiburg Schwei. There were also wins for Untaschung, Au and Sandhausen who are all three points or fewer from third. So that goes down to ninth in the league. So again, a seeded batch in the Dritte Liga as well as in the Zweite Bundesliga. At the wrong end of the table, it's still Duisburg in last after a 2-0 loss to Sandhausen. They have 8 points from 15. Freiburg Schwei are the only other side in single digits. Wadhof, Mannheim and Hallescher are also in relegation places, the latter of whom lost 2-0 to a Saarbrücken side who are now up to 10th following back-to-back -back wins. Lübeck are out of relegation places as they drew 2-all with Armenia Bielefeld. DSC are currently 6 clear of the drop. Moving on as a bit of a one-off, I want to do a recap of some notable news that has come in over the last few days. First of all, the DFL are trying that investor crap again. Yay! Happy fun times ahead. They're going to have a vote on a new version of the investor plan on the 11th of December. There are a few changes from the one that was voted down a few months ago now, if I remember correctly. There's going to be a smaller percentage of future TV rights included. So last time it was 12.5% and they were hoping for 2 billion euros. This time it's down to 9% and they're hoping for 1 billion euros, which I know my maths isn't great, but that feels like a worse deal. 12%, 2 billion, 9%, 1 billion. Feels like less, you know? So, I, I don't get why this is an improvement. It's less, which I guess is good, because I would want them to sell less than 12% of future revenue. I would want them to sell 0%. But, yeah, based on what they were asking for last time, they should be asking for 1.5 billion, not... 1 billion and yet that still might be too optimistic because we've seen that TV deals are going down across Europe. The new broadcast deal for Serie A is much lower than they were expecting. The same is expected of League Earn as well. So it would be surprising for Bundesliga can even get that for this deal. And whilst the DFL have said that this investor would have 
no right to sort of ask for changes to the league, ask for any sporting changes to be made at all. Who knows, maybe that negotiating stance flies out the window if the clubs agree to this and then the DFL find that the investor wants to have that sort of control if they're going to part with the money that the DFL are asking for. So, yeah, this is still an awful Pandora's box which really shouldn't be opened, in my opinion. I'm still very much against this for the same reasons that we were all against the investor earlier on in the year. So hopefully that doesn't go through. Well, to be honest, I'm not massively optimistic. Maybe if the fans start protesting again in the next few weeks, that will help to turn the tide. Moving on, I teased this earlier on, but Union Berlin have a new manager. The new manager was widely expected to be Raul, obviously the former Real Madrid and Schalke star, but it's not. It is a name who we all know just as much as Raul. Yes, you know him, I know him, we all know him. Nenad Bieliska. That's how Wikipedia says his name should be pronounced. If that's wrong, then don't blame me, blame Wikipedia. But yeah, I'm just going to call him Nenad because I can actually say that part of his name. The, the surname is concerning me for the time being. I'm sure as soon as I hear a Bundesliga commentator say it, I'll feel more confident. But yeah, he is the new head coach of Union Berlin replacing Urs Fischer. And obviously I don't know a lot about him because why would I know anything about him? His managerial career so far goes back to 2007. The teams he has managed include Kanten in Austria, Lustenau also in Austria, then Wolfsburger AC, Austria Vienna, Spezia, Lech Poznan, Dinamo Zagreb, Usijek from Croatia and Trabzonspor in obviously Turkey and his time at Trabzonspor doesn't appear to have been a, a massive success because he only managed 16 games there. So so that's not great. And yeah, I'll be honest, this feels like a fighter Bundesliga hiring. Like if, say, Osnabrück had hired him, I would go, yeah, it's, it's an interesting move. Maybe he can... Maybe you can manage them. It's, it's, a, it's a move that we'll have to see if it pans out. And say if Schalke had hired him instead of Carol Gretz, I would have gone, yeah, it's a, it's a decent hiring, I guess, for where Schalke are at the moment. For the side who are in the Champions League to make this hiring is weird. And, I mean, I don't know. He could actually turn out to be a really good manager. And there were a lot of people when the job was mostly linked to Raul who were complaining about how Union have been just going for names recently and that that's been to their detriment while Nenad is most certainly not a big name. So those fans are, are probably happier with this. But yeah, we'll just have to see how he does because let's face it, I don't think any of us know anything about him. I assume that his style doesn't completely clash with the squad that he's got it's not like he's going to need 20 new players to be able to actually manage the side of the way he wants but yeah complete unknown and we'll have to see how he does in his first game in charge of Union Berlin of course that vital Champions League game on Wednesday against Braga 
on the emergency episode where we discussed the firing of Urs Fischer, we of course also discussed the firing of Tobias Schweinsteiger from Osnabrück, and they have also hired a new manager. They've hired Uwe Koshinat. Why? Obviously, you might remember that he was the manager of Armenia Bielefeld last year, the third manager they hired, and the third bad choice as well as he got them relegated in the end with those two horrific performances against Vahen in the relegation playoff, sealing their fate. Before that, he had 13 points from 11 league games, so he wasn't exactly fantastic for Bielefeld last year as they were relegated to the Dritter Liga. And to be honest, this time around, I've had a closer look at his managerial past, and I don't know why he's getting jobs in the Spice Bundesliga. Now, I'm sure that he's an absolutely lovely person, and he's not done anything wrong, and that he's absolutely nice to be around, but to be honest, his CV doesn't seem to justify him getting these opportunities. His only real stint of success, at least at this level, was when he guided Sandhausen to their best start to a Spider-Man's League season. They were ninth at the midway point of the 2019-20 season and finished 10th. So that was an achievement, but to be honest, apart from that, he's not done anything. After he left Sandhausen, he went to Saarbrücken and was sacked after one win in eight in October 2022 and then immediately went from doing so poorly in the Dritter League that he got sacked, to managing a Sveita Bundesliga side. And yeah, he didn't do well with that, got relegated, and to be honest, I thought, well, clearly when he gets his next job, it's going to be in the Dritter League, or maybe even lower than that, because he's not done anything to show that he deserves another chance at a Sveita Bundesliga club, and yet, here he is, back with Osnabrück. So now I am... I mean, look, I, I hope for the guy that he turns it around and that he, he shows that he is a good manager. And I'm sure that he does not care what I think because he's never heard of this podcast. And please don't tell him about it because of what I'm saying here. Like, I don't wish anything bad against him, obviously. But I, I just, I do not see this going well at all. I cannot see how Osnabrück, who are already in a bad predicament, get out of it with Uwe Koshinat as the manager. Best of luck to them, they're definitely going to need it. Another team who could do with luck at the moment, Borussia Dortmund, according to recent reports. Tensions are simmering at the Westfalen Stadion between Erdin Terzic and Sebastian Kell, the director of football. This has reportedly been seen several times. Apparently it was Kell, I think that's how you say that. I'm just going to call him Seb. Seb wanted Edson Alvarez from Ajax. Meanwhile, Erdin Terzic favoured signing Felix Metcher, which is the wrong choice for so many reasons, not just because Metcher is a massive homophobic piece of crap. And by the way, he's out for the rest of the year, so great. And that's why Dortmund ended up spending 30 million euros on a truly mediocre player and terrible human being, as opposed to a player who was looking absolutely fantastic for Ajax for just 10 million euros more. And apparently it was Seb who wanted to invest more in the defence and instead... Terzic wanted to sign Nicholas Fulkrug, and to be honest, whilst Fulkrug has been okay as a backup, I think we'd all agree that 
Dortmund really should have prioritised defending instead, so Sebastian seems to have all of the right ideas, and Terzic seems to have absolutely no clue what he's doing when it comes to transfers, and yet, because he's an utter mega-galaxy-brain genius, Hans-Joachim Bazka says he wants, or has reportedly said he wants, Sebastian Kerl to support Terzic more and agree with him more. No. Dortmund aren't going to win the league if they keep going down this path. That is most certain. It is shocking how genuinely incompetent Hans-Joachim Basker is. And to be honest, his excuse this week of, while at least we're not Schalke, isn't a great one. The, the entire situation of Borussia Dortmund just winds me up so much. It's absolutely ridiculous. At least these reports have shown us that Sebastian Kell has good ideas. And hopefully he will actually be able to execute on them. Though, according to these reports, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Speaking of bad ideas, it was probably a bad idea for Paderborn to sign Max Kruse. His contract has been terminated with the Sveita Bundesliga club now. Should be stressed that this isn't anything to do with, like, discipline or him doing something that was unacceptable to the higher-ups. He's just not played football well enough. He, he joined this summer. He looked like a big addition for Lucas Kwasniok and company, but he has rarely featured for Paderborn since joining. And when he has featured, he's not exactly been fantastic. Speaking about what was going on with Cruiser before his contract was terminated, Lucas Kwasniok said, quote, all the best, pure human being. Unfortunately, it didn't work out quite as well as we had imagined for both sides. The current status is such that Max and the club are well on the way to finding a good solution. And that solution was his contract being terminated. Who knows what we see from Max Cruiser next. He has been a really fun player to watch over the last few years, of course. Particularly with the likes of Werder Bremen and Union Berlin. But it wasn't working at Paderborn and this was the correct decision for both parties. I, I would be surprised if Cruiser wanted to stay in Germany now. I think that's the end of his time in the country. He might try and go to the MLS. He might try and go to one of the stupidly rich leagues abroad where they just throw money at players who are not that good like you know i hope it doesn't go to saudi arabia but that's the best example i can think of at the moment who knows where he goes but like i said i would be stunned if it was another club in germany so the separation between Paderborn and Max Cruiser did seem to be at least positive. They seem to have nice things to say about each other. The same cannot be said for Hertha Berlin and Maisian Mayalida, who obviously joined the then Bundesliga club from Nice in the summer of 2021 for 4 million euros. And we'll just say it's not gone particularly great since he's only played 17 times for the first team, scoring once, and obviously spent the second half of last season on loan at Ream. At the beginning of this season, Paul Dardai decided to demote him to the second team who play in the regional league in Ordos, and he has been, well, decent for the second team, but bearing in mind that they signed him to be a good player in the Bundesliga, and he's average in the semi-professional fourth tier, that's not exactly ideal. He did recently play for Comoros in the international window that we've just had. He scored two goals in his two caps, so genuinely well done to him. But 
his time at Hertz Berlin has been a disaster, and that was reflected in the comments that Paul Dardai made this week. He said, quote, We won't let him down, we'll give him match practice and analysis, but he should get away from us as quickly as possible. He was given a lot of chances and was as lazy as very few players that I have seen in my life. So not great. Um, bear in mind, Paul Dardai hasn't exactly coached over a golden era at Hertz Berlin. There have been a lot of players who will say have been less than ideal mentality-wise. So to be as lazy as few players that he's seen in his life is genuinely impressive in the worst possible way. So hopefully for both sides he's able to move on though. I would be stunned if any side in Germany wanted him, and based on the information I've seen, I'd be stunned if any side in France wanted him either. The final story I want to mention comes from the Goethe district of Germany, which is fairly in the middle of the country, near Erfurt. It's like sort of halfway between Frankfurt and Leipzig, if you want to find it on a map. But a Schalke fan has got into trouble with police in the district for causing around €6,500 worth of damage. And he, he did this to some cable bridges at a construction site. Why did he cause this damage? Well, because the cable bridges were in black and yellow which apparently bothered him because you might know that they are the colours of Schalke's arch-rivals Borussia Dortmund. So, yeah, he was he was annoyed that there was black and yellow somewhere on a construction site, and he went out of his way to, to damage the cable bridges and caused €6,500 of damage as well. A report in MDR says, according to the police, driving over the exposed cables caused considerable damage. A case has been initiated against the man. The police do not want to say where the black and yellow colours bothered him due to personal rights. I mean, what a moron. I love football. You love football. We all love football. But, like, as a St. Pauli fan, I'm not going to cause damage to someone else's property just because, like, I see blue, black, and white or something like that. It was a Leeds fan. I'm not going to get overly upset at the colour red or something. Yeah, I have no idea how to finish this segment, but just thank God you're not him, I guess. Okay, time to round up the podcast in the same way as usual with a very loud computer fan, I mean, I don't know why it's that loud, it's not really doing anything, and top spiel, das Wochenende, all times given in Central European time as per usual, if you are in the UK, knock off one hour, and in the Bundesliga, I am going to be controversial, because my game of the weekend is Darmstadt against Köln, this is a Friday 8.30pm kickoff, and I know what you're thinking, Alex, are you aware that Dortmund and Bayer Leverkusen are playing? And yes, I am aware. But to be honest, for me, the stakes in this game are much higher, particularly for Köln. Now, Stefan Baumgart does seem to still have the backing of the Köln board and the Köln higher-ups. But how long that lasts for could be heavily impacted by the result on Friday. Because Köln, six points from 12 games, are playing a direct 
relegation rival. If they win this, then they could be out of relegation places entirely if other results go their way. If they lose, though, then it'll be time to start panicking and maybe looking at where Vahan is on a map. Then again, Vahan could be promoted to the Bundesliga, so maybe maybe don't do that yet. You know, you don't want to assume anything. But, yeah, this is, this is a big game for Köln. They, they need something, anything, to help turn what has been a, a terrible season around. And having... Being in the Spider Bundesliga a few times in the last decade and getting out, getting into Europe, it felt like those problems were behind them, but now they've slipped back down into relegation places this year and they are they are not playing good football. So something has to change and, and the saying is that you can't sack the team. I, I do hope they keep Baumgart, but a lot here and the Köln board might start to panic for Darmstadt. A win here would be monumental because they would be on 12 points after 13 games with that. And showing that they can at least defend their position in the league well. They could go as many as 4 points clear of the drop if the results go their way as well. So this is a very big game for both sides. Obviously, Bayer Leverkusen against Dortmund, the top of the table clash. Bayer Leverkusen top of the league, Dortmund in fourth. That is probably the highest quality game, though to be honest, Dortmund aren't high quality a lot of the time but that is on Sunday at 5.30 if you want to watch that and you absolutely should watch that it's going to be a good game fingers crossed in the Spider Bundesliga I don't want to because I'm really nervous but of course there is only one game I can go with it's the Hamburg Derby St Pauli against HSV it is a Friday 6.30 p.m kickoff and of course this game is the biggest game of the season so far in the Spider Bundesliga. St. Pauli, top of the league on 30 points. HSV, second on 27 points. A win for either side would be monumental for St. Pauli. It would mean they're six points clear, potentially, at the top. And really showing that they are the promotion contenders that they've looked like through the opening stages of this season. For HSV, if they win, then it will prove that... They are able to mentality-wise get through games like this and they are in the running for promotion this year. I mean, I'm sure that's going to be the case anyway and I have to keep telling myself that the losers shouldn't be too disheartened because for HSV, they'll still be in the... Well, they'll most likely still be in the promotion places regardless of results and for St. Pauli. Even a loss, it would have to be a catastrophic loss for them to lose first place by three or more goals. So, it's not the end of the world for whichever side loses, but this will go a long way to setting the momentum for the sides for the rest of the season. This is the most nervous I've felt for a football game in a long time. The The last Hamburg derby, when it was... If St. Pauli win, then they still have a chance at promotion, and if they don't, then it's over. I wasn't as nervous for, because I, I kind of went in with the mindset that, well, they're probably not going to win, and we don't deserve to go upon the basis of this entire season anyway. So this is way more terrifying than that game earlier this year. Anyway, Friday 6.30, absolutely make sure you watch it because it is one of the most exciting games in German football so far this season for a neutral and the most terrifying game for anyone who's a fan of St. Pauli or HSV. 
Final game to mention for Dritta Liga Sunday, 1.30pm for the game between Dinamo Dresden and Vol. Vol at home, I don't know why I've had it out like that. But this is a big game for both sides. Vol in third on 27 points, Dinamo Dresden in second on 34. If Vol want to be automatically promoted, then this is a must win already because a loss here and they will be 10 points behind Dinamo Dresden and Jan Regensburg. And they do have form on their side. They've won their last four on the bounce. Meanwhile, Dinamo Dresden have now lost two on the bounce. So they're starting to slip. And this is another tough challenge for them after losing this weekend to now top of the league, Jan Regensburg. They had such a big point advantage that they are allowed to slip. And even if they lose this game, they will still have a big point advantage over Vol. But they need to turn around form and fast if they want to keep that points buffer. Which Alversberg will be able to tell you. It's good to have that buffer just in case you fall apart at the end of the season. Anyway, that's all the time we have on the Going Deutsch podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to be back next week with more from the world of German football. And I'll either be in an absolutely fantastic mood or a truly terrible mood, depending on a certain result on Friday. No, not Darmstadt Köln, the other one. Anyway, for the time being, I've been Alex Woodward. And until we meet again, I'll be the same.